0: You're listening to the Functional Fertility Podcast, and I'm your host, Kiara Orbe, Functional Fertility Nutritionist. This podcast is dedicated to optimizing your fertility using real intentional nourishment through nutrition and lifestyle choices. Each week, you'll find practical steps through conversations with health experts in this space or solo episodes from me helping you get closer to creating your family. Everything shared on the podcast is rooted in love and science, and is meant to help you cut through fertility myths so you can take control of your fertility journey while having fun doing so. And if anything resonates with you, please feel free to leave a five-star review and rating so that we can continue having incredible guests on the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hey, hey, Adina. How are you? Hello, Kiara.
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on the new and improved podcast because last you were on, we had you on The Human Experience chatting still about strength training and hormones, of course, but I'm really excited to kind of dive deeper with strength training and pelvic floor health and how it all relates to preconception because – this is just something I'm, I'm starting to dive deeper in myself. So I'm really excited to learn. And I think we have a lot of listeners who are really into pelvic floor health as well. So um, just for anyone who doesn't have like a, um, and like what you're about, um, do you mind giving us like a little history of how you got here?
1: Sure. So, I am back on Kiara's podcast chatting about strength, (laughs) strength and hormones, which I will be chatting about till the day I die. And (laughs) how did I get here? I was, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you can relate. I was always equated my worth with my size and was always told I needed to be smaller. And I spent seven hours a day, sometimes seven sorry 7 days a week sometimes 2 hours a day like 7 hours a <laughs> I I day. Like, wait what? <laughs> yeah, no. That oh man. I mean, people do it, but I would never have gotten to that point. That would be like I'm out. No, no, no. Um it's cutting into my sleep time. But yes, I was doing 2 a days for 7 days a week of high intensity training and just like so much can I curse on this show? Yeah, <laughs> dumb shit, dumb <laughs> dumb shit. And looking back on it, I'm just like my poor body. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was on hormonal birth control. I was struggling with my mental health. I was doing the most, burning myself into the ground. And it's so crazy because looking back on pictures from that time, and actually this is a funny story. I just went to the cleaners tailor that I grew up near um to drop something off and the woman who works there has been working there since I was younger and I was like talking to her son and she didn't recognize me and then it clicked like whose kid I was and she looked at me and just goes you changed you look and she like gestured with her hands almost like bigger and she was like you look healthier oh and I was like thanks for noticing (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, but like she fitted me for clothing when I was like getting married and in college and just looking back on that time. It's so crazy, like what we were chasing when it just didn't feel good to be that size. And it was just never something my body was supposed to be. Um, But it is, you know, it's been a journey. And through it all, I went to graduate school for art therapy. I spent a lot of time in inpatient substance abuse, psychiatric facilities, that type of thing. Um, working on the mental health side of things. And at the time I found powerlifting and it started to just click for me. I was like, wait a minute, I'm getting stronger. I'm building muscle and my mental health is getting better. And so really being able to connect those dots of like the things we do with our body impacts everything else about us. And then I went to school for holistic nutrition and just kind of kept going down that route. Cause I was like, Oh, The movement thing is connected to the mental health thing and it's connected to the food thing. And like, wait a minute, our whole body's connected. Um, So yeah, now I'm here. And now I help women gain energy and get strong with minimum effective dose strength training so that no matter where they are on their healing journey, no matter what season of life they are in, fitness is approachable and building muscle is approachable and improving our metabolism through muscle is approachable and we can recover from it kind of like no matter where we are in our stress overload journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've uh, kind of been sharing like my strength training journey, as you saw on Instagram. And I have a very similar background to yours, like two a days, or it wasn't good enough, and um, just really overworking myself in the gym and forcing myself to go to yoga like one day a week, like there were no days off, um, and I just felt horrible. And yeah. I was like, "But why? I'm so confused. I'm eating well, or so I thought, and I'm working out more than anyone else I know. Why do I feel like crap? And why does everyone else around me?" look so good and they don't have to try as hard, et cetera, et cetera. So then um, I know we talked about on the previous episode we did together, like the whole yoga and walking recommendations and just really slowing down. Um, but almost to the point where it was too slow mm-hmm. for me, too slow. And I got really used to that and I just felt worse and worse. Yeah. Um, and so now finally like going into it, With a better mentality and more knowledge and more wisdom about the human body and the female body, um, with hormones and stuff, and just approaching it so differently, so that I can have better results in the gym and not have to work so hard, so it's more effective. Um, so we're gonna dive all into that and how it all relates to, I guess, like prepping for pregnancy for women who want to conceive, because I'm sure you work with women who are. In that journey, right?
1: Yeah. It's one of my favorite times to help people <laughs> get strong.
0: <laughs> Did you do that yourself? Like tell us about your um, like I guess, preconception phase.
1: Yeah, so I have two babies and they are hilarious and quite <laughs> wacky. Um, but I have a four year old and an almost two year old. And so obviously, my knowledge has evolved quite a bit between those two journeys. And so prior to getting pregnant with Minnie, who's my older my oldest daughter, um, I actually suffered a very early miscarriage that I didn't talk much about because it felt so shameful and nobody had ever told me that they had a miscarriage and I felt like, oh no, my body's broken, like this is the thing I was designed to do and it doesn't do it. I mean knowing everything I know now, like I had gotten off the pill after like six years on the pill a few weeks before trying to get pregnant, you know, so it's like, and, and you go into your OBGYN and they say, Oh, yeah, just get off the pill and start trying. And then when you have a miscarriage, they say, Oh, it's a chemical miscarriage. You know, we don't really know why these happen. There's nothing to do about it. It's just start trying again. And so so much misinformation there. And just like, no effort to teach me how my body works. And, how to better my chances of actually conceiving. Um, so that was super frustrating and, you know, how it be. But I love to share that story because I like other women to hear that if you are coming off the pill, there's so much you can do to support your body and you're not broken if you have a miscarriage. And here is information and here are things that you can do to better support your body for better chances of conception, which I know you talk to your audience about all the time. Um, but then I did end up getting pregnant with Minnie and I had a pretty healthy pregnancy at throughout that pregnancy was kind of when I was coming into a lot more of this information and really learning how to better support my body. But I did have a strong powerlifting background at the point at like prior to that. So I was very strong going into it. So I didn't really struggle with the aches and pains of pregnancy that a lot of people talk about. Um, I was very athletic and I was very strong. and so. For me, the one thing throughout that pregnancy was I didn't have as much knowledge around my pelvic floor and the full range of motion of my pelvic floor, really understanding that. like I was still squatting, I think, upwards of 185 when I was like eight months pregnant. Holy cow. Yeah, and it felt good at the time. Nothing hurt, but actually laboring, <laughs> many, was really challenging. I struggled with back labor. I did not have enough support around that journey and didn't decide to work with a doula at that time. Ended up getting an epidural which I like wasn't leaning either way on at the time, but my body was extremely sensitive to it. My body fat percentage was pretty low considering my pregnancy and so it just my entire body shut down. I was so numb, couldn't feel anything. And hadn't really learned how to push, so couldn't feel the natural signals my body was sending me, didn't really know how to relax my pelvic floor, but was very strong. So I ended up delivering her naturally. I was pushing for almost three hours, and the doctor wanted me in a C-section, and my nurse, who actually was a bodybuilder, she was like, this girl is not going for a C-section. Like she's been pushing for two and a half hours and she's still fine. Like she is going to push this baby out. And I was like, yes, I am. I am not going for a C-section. Um, so yeah, that was wild. And I, I'm so curious how different that experience might have been. Had I had proper support, had I really understood my pelvic floor and kind of trained more for that than just maintaining strength. I do think maintaining strength throughout pregnancy was a really important part of my journey. Again, because like pregnancy was, I don't want to use the word easy because I think that really discounts a lot of people's experiences, but I felt strong in my body the entire time. I didn't feel like I can't tolerate this load. I didn't feel like this hurts to carry this load. And you know, from everything I share, like one of the main things, the gift I like to give women is just this gift of strength where you can do the things you need to do because it's so hard to be a woman and it's so hard to be a mother. It's heavy. Like things are heavy. Babies are heavy. The stuff you have to do is heavy. And so maintaining strength is super important, but yes, like adding that knowledge and understanding around the pelvic floor and transitioning towards labor effectively is like, it's everything. So with my son, I was much more prepared for that but he actually had other plans and was just he's wacky. Like he's the sweetest kid. And then the second something doesn't go his way. He's like, I'm gonna change this right now to go my way. So I feel like the way he came into this earth was very similar to that. I was pregnant for like exactly nine months on his due date. I felt totally fine till his due date. And then on his due date, all of a sudden, I, I was just like, I looked at my husband and I was like, I'm gonna go to sleep. I think the baby's coming tonight. And he was like, Okay, Um, I got in bed. I woke up thinking I just had to pee, but it was like a little bit of a bigger gush than peeing. And so I called my doula, and I was like, "I think my water broke. I'm not quite sure." And she's like, "Well, go lay down. Sometimes it's just a drip. It's not like a full gush. So go lay down, and then in a couple minutes, stand back up again. And if it continues, then like it's your water." And by the time I did that, contraction started. And that was 2.30am. And he was here at 4am. Oh. So he was just like, I'm coming. Just, like, just, <laughs> I didn't even have to do anything. I feel like he just kind of flew out. It was a very, we showed up at a hospital. And it was a very, like, call the doctor, the baby's coming kind of situation. Like the nurse was trying to get me in the bed to monitor me. And I was like, I'm not getting in that bed because the baby is coming out of me right now. So get someone to catch it.
0: <laughs> oh my god, that is wild. Yeah. Do you think that maybe
1: your preparation beforehand had anything to do with that or is just like It's so interesting. There's some research coming out now about like precipitous labor and we're trying to figure out those like speedy deliveries, which if you are, if your kid is a Daniel Tiger fan, um, we were just singing that song the entire time because it was such a speedy delivery. But yeah, it's, it's one of these things that we don't fully understand yet. So I kind of feel like it was just his personality. He's like, I'm ready. I'm here. Um, But who knows?
0: (laughs) Wow. That's amazing.
1: Okay. So take us back
0: to when you found out you were pregnant with Abe and you're like, okay, I want to do you know, some extra things this time around, what were some of those things, I guess, relating to pelvic floor health? Because one of the things that I have recently learned, and I guess I didn't have any idea beforehand, um, I've been seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist myself. And she was like, yeah, mom's come in like right before birth. And really like, ideally it would be like months beforehand and like months before even trying to conceive, I guess. And really, um, Relaxing, learning how to relax the pelvic floor because a lot of us are dealing with that um, overactive pelvic floor without even knowing, and um, uh, you know, to also prevent episiotomies from taking place, Mm -hmm. that tearing. Um, So, can you talk to us about that?
1: Yeah. Well, why don't I let me just explain to the listeners what the pelvic floor is because I think that sometimes I start coaching and people are like, "What is my pelvic floor?" I'm like, "Oh, I forgot. Nobody tells us anything about our body." So. Our pelvic floor is kind of like a group of muscles that sit inside our pelvis. It's almost like a hammock and it runs the entire length of the pelvic. So we have the pelvis. So we have like a front of our pelvic floor. We have a middle of our pelvic floor and we have a back of our pelvic floor. So if you imagine trying to like hold in your pee, that's the front of your pelvic floor. If you imagine trying to like hold in a fart, that's the back of your pelvic floor. And if you would imagine trying to like close your vaginal canal around something, that is the middle of your pelvic floor. So a true pelvic floor contraction is lifting all of those at the same time, having that control to be able to bring all of that kind of like up and in, at the same time, and then being able to relax it fully down. So, for so many of us, we don't even know what that feels like. That is something I spend so much time with my clients on. And especially if you are athletic, if you have had a history of I, my clients who spin like crazy or are obsessed with Pilates, their pelvic floors are just so tight and locked up because they spend so much time clenching and tucking. I think Pilates can be a really useful tool, but I think so many Pilates instructors just over cue clench and tuck, clench and tuck. And like that excessive tucking of the pelvis, we end up with these just tight booty holes for lack of a better explanation. Um, So, you know, it's just one of these things I really want to bring awareness to because we talk to clients all the time about, Digestion impacting things like constipation, hemorrhoids, but we need to talk about what role the pelvic floor is playing there as well, because you may be eating all the right things and doing all the digestion practices and getting yourself into a really good state to digest your food. But if you're just like holding on to your booty hole all day, like you are not going to be able to go to the bathroom well. It's just like that could be the piece, the missing link, you know? Um, So I think it's important for people to know that. But
0: can I just interject yeah. for a second? Because I remember having digestive issues starting like really badly in college. And I was so embarrassed by these digestive issues. So yes, like trying to hold in those embarrassing farts. And yes. like you can't go. I didn't feel comfortable going to the bathroom, like running to the bathroom um, in a public restroom. So I would hold it. And oh my gosh, like <laughs> the damage that I did. And I think intuitively I also kind of like thought about it. I was like, is this good to do? But I just didn't know. And yeah. At the time. And at the time I was just doing what was making me feel safe. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. So I think that definitely contributed to that. But long before that, I think the overactive pelvic floor kind of began way before that, um, as a child and like trying to suck in my belly, like, yeah, you know, my mom, you know, unfortunately, she was um, big into diet culture too, like many women have, and no fault to her at all. But she was just like, I remember complaining about my belly when I was a little girl, and she was like, just suck it in. Yeah. <laughs> and so that became my norm. And so now I'm having to kind of like rewire that and just like fully relax because once I was able to, once I learned how to do that, how to fully relax. I was like, "Whoa, that's yeah, danger!" Like I didn't realize. Like I have been, my entire pelvic floor has been like so tight and constricted all around all this time, and I'm 28 years old. So um, yeah, it's just fascinating. I just wanted to touch on that because I think a lot of women who are struggling with digestion, like you said,
1: really need to check
0: their pelvic floors.
1: Yeah, I had that experience too. I mean, I do want to touch on the sucking in thing too because that is I see that all the time. Um, but growing up. I th- I'm trying to think how old I was, maybe I just started high school. And I was struggling with like anal fissures. And I remember I went to a GI, right, and their favorite recommendation, eat more fiber and drink more water. So I ate fiber one out of a plastic bag every day and like, put Ben fiber in a plastic water bottle and just like walked around with that as my care kit. And obviously it didn't help. But I never thought at the time, like, oh, I'm athletic. Oh, I'm also always sucking in my stomach. Maybe this has to do with my pelvic floor. And some of the pelvic floor stuff that I needed to rehab after Abe was born is so related to that story and that those strategies, you know So it's very interesting um, oftentimes when we have these women who deal with things like really tight pelvic floors or constipation or hemorrhoids or even prolapse, you know, after they birth babies, And kind of taking a look at like, what were some of these strategies we used when we were younger? So it's really interesting. But yeah, the sucking in thing. So I just want to connect this for the listeners. Also, basically, our pelvic floor is that hammock that kind of sits inside our pelvis, right? And we need to think about our whole body as a unit. This goes for our digestive function, hormone health, immune function, the whole thing, but also our physical presence. So when we think about our body, and we think about the way we're stacked as a skeleton, We have our head that sits on our spine, and inside of our head is our throat, and that's kind of like the first diaphragm of the body. And then under the throat, we have our breathing diaphragm, right? And then under our breathing diaphragm, we have our pelvic diaphragm. So our pelvic floor can be related to as our pelvic diaphragm. And then all the way down to the floor, we have our arches, which are the base of our feet. And so when we think about all four of these diaphragms pulsing together, and kind of working as a pattern together, it's really helpful to understand why something like sucking in could have such an impact on the pelvic floor. The natural function of our body, the way this is supposed to go, is we are supposed to take an inhale, and our inhales are supposed to relax our diaphragm down, and our inhales are supposed to relax our pelvic floor down, and then our exhales are supposed to bring our diaphragm up and are supposed to bring our pelvic floor up. And that's kind of what protects that whole system. Our whole core system is supposed to work as a unit like that. So, with women who have been spending all this time sucking in their stomach, they're putting a giant cinch right in the middle of that canister. So, if you think about like a toothpaste tube, right? If you were to just squeeze right in the middle of that toothpaste tube, the toothpaste is going to go flying out the top or out the bottom, however you're holding it, right? So, if you think about your body in that way, If you put that giant cinch in your toothpaste tube, the pressure is going somewhere. So then you're going to do something to keep it in, right? If it's clenching the pelvic floor, if it's holding down the ribs, like whatever we're doing to kind of fix that pressure, what we need to do is kind of release that squeeze in the toothpaste tube and just gently apply pressure evenly throughout the system right? We take these inhales, these exhales. When we brace the core, that's a very different thing than sucking in our stomach, which I think a lot of people are missing the mark on. Um, But to take it back to your original question, like how would you prep? Breathing and alignment are the first two things that I start with everyone on. You know, First, I want to hear their story. I want to learn about their movement strategies. But teaching actual connection breath, like true diaphragmatic breathing and this isn't belly breathing i think a lot of people think like oh i just breathe into my belly i'm doing it right what we need to really do is teach people how to use their diaphragm to let those ribs out to the sides to let those diaphragms relax down to let that pelvic floor relax down and to let that whole system come back up together when we exhale it's like it's crazy it's so crazy how mismanaged our breathing is and how big of an impact it has on our overall health, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. And I think I'm still learning like how to properly breathe. I remember a few years ago, I like put my hand like when I started learning about belly breathing, I put my hand on my my chest and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not breathing. And my belly either. Like it's just it's it's so shallow. And I think a lot of us don't know how to properly breathe. Yeah. So going back to what you were saying belly breathing versus diaphragmatic breathing. Like, can you like paint a picture for us?
1: Yes. So when people are taught to do diaphragmatic breathing, so many people are taught to do belly breathing, right? They, you'll get the cue of like, okay, put a hand on your chest, put a hand on your belly. And if your chest came up towards your face, and your belly didn't move, then you did it wrong, right? We want to make sure that our belly is coming out with that breath. But the issue with that is if we think back to that pressure management system, take someone who has a history of diastasis, right? So diastasis is 100% normal in late stage pregnancy, our abs will spread a little bit in order to make room for the baby. But The question is, do we recover from that? Can we regain function? It's not necessarily about, can we close the gap? I think that's really outdated. It's, can we create tension in our abs? Can we regain function? Can we ditch whatever symptoms are associated with that? Um, But that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But if we are to tell that person, okay, now take a deep inhale down and breathe into your belly. If their whole belly expands out forward, that is so much pressure onto a tissue that we're trying to regain connection to, that we're trying to regain integrity to, you know? So what we really need to be have, and also it doesn't necessarily mean that their diaphragm is moving just because their belly is moving. So what we really need to happen, which is one of the things that I just like drill in so hard with my athletes, because I work in group settings. So I, I don't really like sit with each individual and see their exact breathing pattern. But what I see come up the most frequently with women, our demographic, our age bracket generally, is these really tight, sticky ribs, right? We've all been kind of like sucking in our stomachs and holding on tight to our rib cages. And so I think that one of the biggest pieces to getting that diaphragmatic breathing going is getting people to be able to move their ribs. So what I cue people generally, as opposed to like put a hand on your chest, put a hand on your belly and breathe in is actually take your hands and put them around your rib cage, like put your pointer on the front of your rib cage and your thumb on the back of your rib cage, right at the bottom and take an inhale in. And if we feel your ribs move out to the side and into the front and into the back, so really like a 360 degree expansion at the ribs, almost like you're opening an umbrella, right? Think about your ribs as like, we're trying to open this umbrella to let that diaphragm come down. That's when we start to become successful with getting that diaphragm to move and getting that pelvic floor to respond with it. Mm.
0: That's going to take some practice. Yep. And <laughs> what are the benefits of this um, more than just like being able to relax the pelvic floor?
1: Yeah. So again, it's how our entire system works. So we know the benefits on the hormone and digestive and metabolism side of things, where we're actually. When we move the diaphragm, that is when we are getting into that parasympathetic state. So we can talk about the benefits of breathing all day long for getting into a parasympathetic state, but it really comes down to proper breathing, right? When the diaphragm moves, we stimulate that vagus nerve and we get into that parasympathetic state. When we're just kind of like inhaling into the belly our body could still be reading that as shallow breathing. If we're not moving the diaphragm with that breath and we're just expanding the belly, it may not really be changing that picture. Um, But outside of those nervous system benefits, this is how our core works properly. So our pelvic floor, we can't really view it in isolation. It's a part of our core system. So the main reason that pregnant women struggle with pelvic floor issues so much Yes, you know, when we birth a baby out of our vagina, we're going right through the pelvic floor and we could have various different compensations from that. But even women who undergo C section, they also struggle with pelvic floor issues. So, what's going on here? Really, when we think about the posture of pregnancy and you look at a pregnant woman, right, we all look different. But some things that maintain true for everyone is your ribs are going to. Stretch out to the sides and oftentimes flare up to make room for the baby. Your pelvis is going to tilt forward to make room for that baby, and your belly is going to spill forward. So, what's happening there is that first of all, we're putting a lot of different pressures onto the pelvic floor. So, maybe the front of the pelvic floor gets really tight, or maybe this is a person who's experiencing back pain. So, their center of mass is shifting and the baby's pulling them forward, but they're trying so hard. To keep that center of mass like back so that they don't have that back pain and they're clenching and tucking. So then the bottom of their pelvic floor gets really tight. But a big piece of this whole picture is that we lose that good alignment. We lose that stack of the diaphragm right over the top of the pelvic floor. And so we really lose access to the ability for our core to like work properly, you know? So it's so interconnected and like we can't really talk about the pelvic floor without talking about the core. We can't talk about the pelvic floor without talking about breathing, the diaphragm and the feet, in my opinion, (laughs) but there, you know, so many pregnant women, right? How many pregnant women complain about their feet? Oh, my feet got bigger or all this type of stuff. My feet hurt so much. My arches disappeared and your feet are the window to your pelvic floor. If we lose that arch in our feet, we lose the ability to absorb force at our feet. How are we supposed to absorb force at our pelvic floor? It gets all connected, you know?
0: Oh, my gosh! That's so fascinating, so even like the the way you stand like with your feet tilting outwards or inwards, that has to do with the pelvic floor
1: a hundred percent right? If you can't absorb force at your feet, where do we think that force is gonna go? I always liken it to right this is why so many women leak when they try to jump years down the line from having babies, like even if their immediate pelvic floor function seems to be working okay if we never address the feet and gave them back the ability to absorb force at the feet, it's like every time they jump, it's almost like they're jumping onto concrete as opposed to jumping onto a trampoline. We're not getting that relaxation of the pelvic floor and then retraction with those exhales, with that force, you know?
0: I have a couple questions questions um, just on breathing before we jump into alignment. So when someone is practicing diaphragmatic breathing, should they be standing up, sitting down, laying down? Does it matter?
1: Actually, (laughs) I like to take my athletes, and you'll notice I say athletes because if you have a body, you're an athlete. Like, I don't think we are separating elite athletes from moms. Moms are freaking athletes. (laughs) So when we think about this, I really like to progress people through like, Positional breathing. And for a few reasons. One, we always want to make things as easy as possible in the beginning so that we can gain that connection and learn how to breathe without limitations of things like gravity or being in a position that's just really hard for you. Um, So I always like to start people out on their back and really learning how to connect there. But then I like to flip people over because. I like to take moms through the same progressions that their baby is going to go through. So thinking about we start on our back, we move to our belly, we move on all fours, we move to sitting and standing and really taking that progression because that's how we were designed to progress. You know, like this happens for a reason. And so I love starting people on their back because it's something that you can do all the time. You can do it newly postpartum. I think this is another hill that I will die on. but. The six-week checkup for postpartum moms, it's like, this is way, it's like both too little too late and too much too soon, you know? If we wait till six weeks after having a baby to start breathing and reconnecting with our body, that's too long, in my opinion. And then think about all the women who like go to that six-week checkup and it's like, oh, you're cleared for exercise. And they like go back to Barry's bootcamp. It's like... (laughs) I think we need to like revisit that timeline and start breathing at like 2 weeks postpartum. Um but yeah, tangent. I just like can't not say that. I'm like I have a captive audience. Listen, ladies. <laughs> um yeah, so starting people out on their back, learning how to breathe where there's no gravity involved and you can really try to connect Then oftentimes I'll move women into side lying because I think side lying can help people find those ribs when we can't really get those ribs to come out to the side. And then I like to get people on all fours. I also like to get people into child's pose because actually in child's pose, we're lengthening the pelvic floor. So a lot of my women who have struggle like moving their back with their breath, so getting their ribs to move in the back, a lot of my women who have trouble getting their pelvic floor to relax, sometimes just putting them in that position where the pelvic floor is lengthened. Like I've heard yoga instructors refer to child's pose as wind relief pose, right? Because so many people fart in child's pose. But it's because your pelvic floor is lengthened. So for some people who are holding on so tight, sometimes that's the first time they can like feel that relaxation.
0: Oh, my God. I'm laughing because... I remember this memory from college where I was like talking to one of my roommates. I was like, I feel like I have to fart, but I like physically can't, I I can't like, I I need to fart, but I can't. She was like, just get into child's pose and boom. Yeah. So it definitely does work. Um, I I also love getting into Cobra as well. Um, I feel like that helps lengthen my pelvic floor too. And just like being in that upward position, but, um, okay. Sorry to interject. What were you saying?
1: Uh, No, I don't remember. Oh, yeah. So positional breathing. Yeah. So standing is a total progression, right? So many of us think to start in standing, but standing, your pelvic floor is active. It's working once you're standing. It's trying to keep everything in. So when we can start out in positions that don't have that as a factor, it can just be more helpful to connect. But again, everyone's going to be different. Like some people are going to have a really hard time connecting on their back. Some people are going to have a really hard time connecting in child's pose. So I like to progress people through it and give people variability and strategies and just like play with this and see where you can get that to click. And also, I always want to say about breathing, don't get discouraged. Like breathing, relearning, retraining breathing patterns can take a year at least, you know? So... If you're like, oh, I've been doing this for three weeks and I just can't get my ribs to move, the end, this can take a really, really long time.
0: Wow. That's a really good thing to note. Um, I'm curious about prepping for like movement. Do you focus on breathing alone first and then jumping into movement? Or is there a way to do it like simultaneously if someone is ready to start training?
1: Yeah. So it depends where we're at. For most people, I will start them with just positional breathing. That's like the first few weeks of my programs. All have, before our movement prep, we are doing breathing prep. And because of that, because of how hard it is to relearn these patterns, I think we really benefit from just spending some dedicated time just focusing on the breath without thinking about other things. Usually, around like week five, week six of some of my programs, I'll start to utilize movement prep and just incorporate breathing strategies in there. Um, And that's kind of like a progression again, because now we have these dynamic components. Now we're doing other things and trying to figure out how the breath works with that. So, if you're a person who has a fitness background and you've been dismissing breathing and you're like, oh, that's silly. Okay. Like, sure, she's talking about breathing, but like, I don't need that you need it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I needed to hear that. Um so I've also been learning about from you like proper breathing during movement because it looks really different. I feel like it's something that you actually have to pause and think about like when you're
1: going down into a squat. Can you explain that? Yeah, for sure. So this is a thing that happens in the fitness industry a lot too. So as you guys may remember from the beginning of this episode, I got started in the powerlifting world. And so what you hear from all of your powerlifting coaches is, first of all, put on this giant belt. So put a cinch right into the middle of your abdominal canister. So like we talked about squeezing that toothpaste tube, put on this giant belt and then take a deep breath, pushing against your belt and bear down. Some some coaches will even say like, bear down like you're trying to poop, hold your breath and squat right? And I was pushing super heavy loads and doing that for years. It is like crazy to think about what kind of impact that can have, what kind of poor pressure management that is. And again, if you are a person who your goal is to be competitive at powerlifting, then yes, there might be slightly more effective strategies that we can use. But it might make sense for you to wear a belt and to do those things. If you are a person who just wants to get strong to be strong for your life and your main goal is like to not pee yourself when you're hanging out with your kids, then like we might not need to use those strategies and we can still get you really strong without them. You know, it's it's always going to be about what are the needs of your life. I never want to say this thing is horrible for your pelvic floor, let's not do that or that thing is stupid, we're never going to do that. It's always about what strategies can we employ for you that are going to make you good at the things you need to and want to do? So there's always kind of like weighing a lot of things when it comes to that. But for me, I got started doing that. And then I was having babies and was like, "Hmm, this doesn't feel right. Like knowing what I know about breathing now, it's so crazy. I would never have done that. But what we, what's happening when we do that is, yeah, we're being really effective at protecting our spine at lifting really heavy load, but we're putting a lot of pressure down on the pelvic floor or a lot of pressure forward onto the abs. Again, pressure goes to the weakest link. So if you're a person who struggles with a history of diastasis, we'll probably see that pressure come forward. If you're a person who struggles with something like prolapse, we'll probably see that pressure come down. So that is like generating a, Ton of intra abdominal pressure pressure inside that abdominal cavity, and what I usually like to coach women through, which again, talking back to strategy, is like it's gonna be different for everyone, but what I like to have people do is say like a squat, right? I want people inhaling on the easier part of the lift and exhaling through the harder part of the lift, okay, so like on a squat, inhaling on the way down exhaling on the way up, as you're getting explosive, as your hips are coming out of the hole. And again, that timing will be a little bit different for everyone. But it's really cool, because this is also how we generate power, right? Like if you've listened to a tennis match, or you've listened to martial arts, and you hear that expiration, like you hear that loud breath, or that shout, or that moan, or that grunt, what we're doing when we make that sound, that audible exhale is we're bringing our pelvic floor on board and we're bringing our deep core on board. So that's how we generate power and force. Like, it's so cool. It's like, I always say that elite strength and power training should look no different than training for healthy hormones, happy pelvic floors, like all that stuff that we're trying to do. It's just a matter of dosing it appropriately and teaching it appropriately and recovering well from it. So that's something that i think is just like so freaking cool. You feel it in your body. If you've ever mm-hmm. gone for that audible exhale, like you really feel what that feels like. And i've had so many people who like watch my kettlebell training videos that are like what is why are you breathing so weird, <laughs> you know? But that sound helps so much. And sometimes it's as simple as that to solve your pelvic floor issues. Yes, yeah, sometimes it's more complicated, but like i myself was struggling with some leaking when i was sneezing. I got a really bad cold, like early postpartum. And I was sneezing so much that it was just like exceeding the load that my pelvic floor could tolerate, you know? And I was working with my pelvic floor physical therapist and she was like, are you holding in your sneezes? Like, I know sometimes when a baby's sleeping next to you, you're sneezing and you're like, she's like, shout when you sneeze and let's see if it changes. And like, that was the fix. It's just like letting out that huge sound when you sneeze. And all of a sudden, that pressure is going out and the pelvic floor is coming up instead of holding in all that pressure and the pressure is going down and you leak.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's really good to know. I never, ever thought about that. Um, you mentioned a couple words in the episode so far, and I just want to make sure because I don't even think I have an idea what it means. I've heard of it. Prolapse. Yeah. What What is happening there?
1: Okay. So let's get into it. Um Prolapse can be, it can sound really scary if you've never heard of it, but basically, this is when your pelvic floor is not effectively holding in your organs. So, we have inside of our pelvis sits our bladder, our uterus, and our rectum. Okay. So, one, two, or three of those coming down instead of staying where they're supposed to be. So there's different grades to prolapse, right? It can be as simple as like your bladder just kind of like prolapsing slightly into the vaginal wall. And that's why you might see a little bulge in your vagina that you never noticed before. Or same thing, like your rectum kind of like coming down into the vaginal canal. Um, The same thing with your uterus. Or you could have one of those, you could have two of those, you could have three of those, you could have it barely be an issue, or you could have it completely like coming out of your body. (laughs) And it's one of those things that gets like people get so scared of, and everyone wants to just like do surgery on that right away. And this is like, you know, I get really worked up about this because if the reason that that was prolapsing in the first place is because we were poorly managing our pressure, if you just go ahead and stitch it back up, and then I take my first inhale down, like. It's going to prolapse again. It's one of the highest rates of failed surgery in the country for good reason, because like obviously we're not addressing the root cause of the issue and we're just like stitching it back up. So yeah, that can be really frustrating. But here's the thing. I think people get so scared of prolapse and they think this isn't what my body ever looked like and now this thing is happening. I need to fix it. When I think our approach needs to be, my body might, my organs might sit a little differently after I've had a baby. And by the way, the rate of prolapse for people who have never had a baby is way higher than you think. But we may think like, oh, and it doesn't matter, vaginal, C-section, forceps, like babies, people get prolapse. I think the approach needs to be like, can we utilize these strategies to regain function? It doesn't really matter where the organs sit, if you're not symptomatic. So if we can get you not leaking, if we can get you to not have pain with sex, if we can get you not constipated or, you know, all kinds of stuff, it doesn't really matter. We don't need to like surgically fix that. It doesn't matter.
0: Kind of reminds me of like, the body knows exactly what it needs to do. Just given the right environment, given the right tools, same with like healing digestive issues and hormone imbalances. So I'm kind of like getting that same idea when it comes to healing prolapse. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and you also mentioned diastasis. So is it diastasis? Or? Diastasis,
1: diastasis, yeah. people pronounce okay. it differently. Yeah.
0: Okay. What is that?
1: Okay. So we have like, if you think about our six-pack mus- our six pack muscles, right? And that middle line that separates the two columns, that's called your linea alba and it's connective tissue. And it spreads to make room for that baby. Some people, you know, like in cases of obesity or other athletic issues, we might see that spreading with no relation to pregnancy or childbirth, but that tissue can spread to make room for the baby. And 100% of women, like at their due date, will have that separation. It's totally normal. The question is, will will we regain function and integrity at that tissue afterward? So what we want to be seeing is the ability to create tension in that core system and to brace effectively even in the presence of a diastasis. So I know you know I'm quite controversial in all of my opinions and I know you're here for it. So I go down these rabbit holes with you, but even in the pelvic floor and core healing space some people will not view it that way. Some people will be like If you didn't close the gap, you didn't fix your diastasis. Or, like, prolapse is always an issue. It doesn't matter, symptomatic or not. Like, these are things that I think we're getting more people to have my shared perspective on this now, where as long as the integrity is there, the gap doesn't necessarily matter. Like, yeah, we don't want a 10-finger-width gap where, like, all your organs are spilling out. But again, if you can. Create pressure there, and there's tension and there's integrity in that tissue. And, like we know, integrity in the tissue has a lot to do with your state of metabolism. Where's the inflammation at? What's your collagen production like? Like, it's not just about here are some pelvic floor rehab exercises you can do, but certainly building muscle and creating effective strategies for actually getting your core to brace. Like, that's going to go a really long way.
0: Okay, so other than having a baby, um, I've had a friend who had diastasis. Oops, and um, it was because she was really overexerting herself in the gym. Like, yeah. And can we talk about like core exercises? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of like coning that happens. Yes. Happen.
1: Yeah, so again, it all goes back to this pressure management system. So for some of us who were athletes and we were just like clenching all the time, we might get things like hemorrhoids or anal fissures or issues at the pelvic floor. And for some of us who are mismanaging our pressure, it might present as diastasis. So like we talked about early on with that breathing and how we want that diaphragm to sit over top of that pelvic floor. That gives us the ability to like activate our core properly. And our core's function is to protect our spine, to help us manage that pressure. So those of us who are in the gym and who are not maintaining that proper alignment, who are not utilizing that breathing effectively, who are not using those core strategies well, think about where that pressure is going. Like, okay, picture people in CrossFit, because this is where we see a lot of diastasis. Picture someone in, in CrossFit. And they're going for pull-ups. And they're doing kipping pull-ups. So they're just going for those butterfly pull-ups over and over and over again. And their ribs are flared out to the front. Their pelvis is behind them. Their belly is like spilling forward. But we see a visual six-pack. So we're like, oh, they're Jack. They're doing this right. I actually like to set up, I mean, especially my postpartum athletes. But when I teach a pull-up, I want your hips in front of your chest. I want those ribs down. I want almost like this hollow hold position where it's basically just a moving plank like push-ups, pull-ups. all of these lifts should be moving planks. We need that connection between our ribs and our pelvis. We need that entire core system on board to maintain that like stacked position to maintain that alignment and to be able to get that good connection breath going.
0: Okay. So moving on to alignment, what does that mean? Right. So oh, oh, wait, I do have one more question. Yeah. Going back to like pelvic floor health, queefing, something that I feel like we haven't, at least I haven't really touched on this um, or heard of it from like any pelvic floor um, educators. Why does this happen and what can we do?
1: Again, it's one of these things where it's like, where's the pressure going? And what is the tension like at that region? So if you if this is something you're struggling with a lot, it could be like totally normal and not a big deal. But I would have you kind of like, one exercise I like to do is sitting on a chair with pointers on the front of your pelvis, so the front of your hip bones, and thumbs on the back of your pelvis, and thinking about your pelvis like a bucket of water, and practicing spilling water out of the front of the bucket. So if you would do that, the front of your pelvic floor should come into contact with the chair. And practicing breathing and Kegels in that position. So like inhaling down, letting it relax, exhaling, gentle lift in the pelvic floor. And then same thing, putting your hands back on that bucket of water and spilling the water out of the back. So that would be tucking your pelvis under and that would get the back of your pelvic floor in contact with the chair. And going through the same drill there, like inhaling down, exhaling out, And seeing, like, do I notice a difference between the front and the back? Do I have more control over the front or the back? Am I tighter? Am I weaker? Again, at the end of the day, find a good pelvic floor physical therapist and have them assess you. And I say good pelvic floor physical therapist because it's hard to find. Like, it's a really niche field to begin with. So it can be challenging to find someone that aligns with your philosophy and does internal exams and really knows what they're doing. Um, But yeah. That's what I would say. Is there anyone who
0: shouldn't be doing Kegels?
1: Yes. So Kegels in isolation, nobody should be doing. (laughs) Um, And that is like, if you are just sitting at a red light and someone told you to just like hold in your pee every time you're at a red light 20 times, like, have you heard that one? No. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't from some recommendations make me lose my mind. So yeah if you have been told to just like practice holding in your pee or pulling up your pelvic floor every time you're at a red light or I don't even know, don't do that. I don't recommend that, but maintaining that connection breath. So inhaling down, relaxing the pelvic floor, exhaling gentle lift in the pelvic floor, highly recommend that. I just think we should be cautious because again, some people have these overactive pelvic floors and if your pelvic floor is really strong, but I don't want to say strong because oftentimes it's not just strong, it's tight. So it could be weak and tight. Um, Then if we just like hold on for dear life with our pelvic floor, that's kind of what we're trying to avoid. For you, we might really need to teach you how to actually like relax it. So Kegels in that understanding of them, where it's just like, pull your pelvic floor up, pull your pelvic floor up, pull your pelvic floor up. Like, I don't recommend that for anyone, but a full range of motion Kegel where it's like, gently pulling the pelvic floor up, relaxing it completely, like completely getting it to relax down. Sometimes even once you have that full relaxation, trying to push against it, like you were trying to like push out a poop or something, and really feeling that we have control over those muscles and can relax it can push against it. Um, That I think can be really helpful for just about everyone. But again, it's all about getting that evaluation, understanding what your needs are, so that we can apply the best strategy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really important to note because I was definitely one of those women who <laughs> did like sets of Kegels, like alone. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that my pelvic floor was already overactive with all those digestive issues I was experiencing. And I'm sure that def- definitely just like made things worse at the time. Um, but we're unlearning. Yeah. On <laughs> so now moving into alignment, what do you mean by alignment?
1: yeah, so again, it's really what we talked about with breathing, but okay. our alignment is just keeping our ribs stacked over our pelvis um you know it's gonna look a little bit different. I like to say alignment and not posture because like there's no one perfect posture. our bodies are different we've had life experiences we hold tension in different places um I like people to be able to get into and out of every posture that's the goal because. Our goal in movement is variability, right? The more patterns we can get into and out of, the less opportunity for injury. The more patterns we can get strong in, the less opportunity for injury. But when we think about alignment, what I really want people to be thinking about is, first of all, the feet, right? We always start at that base. Can I create an arch at the feet? Can I like pull my feet together to actually create that arch, even if I don't think I have it? Can I fully splay my feet to the ground? Can I do both of those things? And then moving up the chain, can I control my pelvis? Does my pelvis naturally dip forward because I was pregnant and never worked on it or because I was trying to make my butt look big my whole life? So I've been sticking my butt out and spilling my pelvis forward. Can I control movement at the pelvis? So again, based on our history, based on what kind of pain we experience, some of us might need more forward tipping of that pelvis some of us might need more backward tipping of that pelvis but at the end of the day can i get my pelvic bowl to sit right under my rib bowl like stack those two joints and then outside of that the head and neck i also want to be thinking about like does my head jut forward do i have control to be able to pull my head back in line with my spine like imagine if you were wearing a top knot this is kind of how i like to how i like people to see this if you were wearing a top knot, if someone just pulled you up to the sky from that top knot, how would all your joints align? And that's the alignment we're looking for. Like your ribs come up and in, your pelvis comes up, your feet raise a little bit, like just kind of that rising towards the ceiling and getting all those joints stacked.
0: Mm. That's a really good visual (laughs) and something to just be aware of and kind of just have, now that you have that picture in your head, you can just kind of It's not about being perfect, being in perfect posture all the time, Um, but being able to get into that posture as if you were being pulled up is really good to note. So just to kind of summarize everything, I know we talked a lot about breathing and alignment, but strength training itself, why is that beneficial for preconception?
1: All right. Or pregnancy in general. Yeah. (laughs) We'll be back. Okay. So- This is a big qualm that I have with the pelvic floor rehab space and the rehab space in general, where we kind of like baby people, you know, and we think, oh, we're working on their pelvic floor issue in isolation, right? How many women have gone to a pelvic floor physical therapist or have gone to a doctor and have heard, oh, you're leaking? Okay, so we're just not going to lift more than 10 pounds. And it's like, honey, my toddler weighs 30 pounds. Like what what are we doing here? You think this is going to work? So for me, that's a big issue because if we can't manage our pressure when we're lifting 10 pounds, certainly we're going to leak and we're not going to be able to manage our pressure when we pick up our kid. So my goal is to get the women I work with as strong as we possibly can so that they're better at managing their pressure when they do their tasks of life because their tasks of life will now be easy. If your kid weighs 30 pounds, if your dog weighs 50 pounds, you need to be stronger than that so that we have the best outcomes when you need to do the things that your life demands. How are we going to help people if we tell them they can't lift more than 10 pounds? If we tell them they can't squat, oh, you have prolapse, you can't squat. Okay, what happens when I need to get down to the toilet? What happens when my kid drops his pacifier? Like, it's just how are we helping people if we are telling them to be weaker? (laughs) Just like makes no sense to me. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. I love strength training. And like you were telling me, I think when someone gets into it and knows how to properly do it, then they begin to actually love it versus viewing it as this huge stressor. Like I once saw it.
1: Yeah. I had that experience, you know, like, you know, the game of those real trolls, when you have a reel go viral and the trolls show up to just tell you their feelings, I had someone tell me that that I was an exercise purist and I'm the reason that so many people hate to exercise <laughs> because I said that strength training will serve you better than walking and yoga. And the funny thing to me about that is that like I am trying to teach women here is the easiest way for you to get strong. And here is how you can fall in love with feeling strong and powerful so that your whole life is easier to live. And so you can unlearn all of that bullshit from the fitness industry where you had to like run yourself into the ground. I feel like the fitness industry is the reason people hate to exercise. (laughs) You know, it's like so many of us, especially when we come into this preconception postpartum season and we're exhausted and our only memory of strength training or of fitness is being exhausted and laid out on the floor and pushing intensity and working so freaking hard we can't imagine returning to that we're you know we're in our first trimester and we're so exhausted and we can't imagine getting off the couch and we're like I know movement is good for my baby and we start doing all this guilt tripping but i i used to be so in shape and I worked so hard in the gym. I can't do that. Or we're postpartum and we're barely sleeping and we're so tired and we're thinking like, Oh, I want to get my body back because everyone tells us we need to do that. But the last memory I have of working out was working so hard and doing that CrossFit class and pushing all that intensity and that disconnect can kind of shut us down. And then we don't work out for three years and we feel so sorry for ourselves. And it's that whole cycle that fitness industry makes you go through. When if we can lower the barrier to entry and make strength training this approachable thing that you can do in any season of life with, like I said, using the minimum effective dose, that's why I do that. Like, yeah, sure, we can build muscle doing eight to 12 reps. But you know what? We can also build muscle doing one to two reps. And That's easier. And it fits into your schedule as a mom or as a pregnant woman way better. So why don't we do that instead? And then, you know what, after you do those two reps, you can rest two minutes and go check on the thing that's on the stove and go send that email and then come back and do another set. And then you're good to go. You know, it's like, how much easier and more approachable is that? Like, doesn't that feel like it can fit in no matter what? Yeah. What your schedule is, what your stress level is, no matter where you are on your healing journey. It's like, we can get stronger and feel better, but like do way less and not stress our bodies out. So like, sign me up for that, you know?
0: Yeah. That's all you're trying to do is just teaching women that you don't have to struggle with those aches and pains during or after pregnancy. and. That is something that I would definitely want to learn more about. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. So if someone is in their preconception journey or wanting to conceive, you know, I think when I say preconception, a lot of people think like, oh, I need to have a baby in just like a few months. But really, I think like I'm in my preconception journey and I have no idea when I'm going to have a kid, but that could be like a year long. That can be two years long. I think the sooner, the better we start preparing for these things so that we can have, I don't want to say, like you said, like an easy pregnancy, but maybe where we struggle a little bit less Mm -hmm. with those normalized things. Um, What would be your number one tip?
1: I mean, my number one tip is get strong, but (laughs) I would break that into pieces of like, find strength in a way that it is easy and approachable and fits into your schedule. Because if you are a person who's getting strong, but you're in the gym five to seven days a week, like. Is that really going to work as life progresses, as things get harder? I feel like not. Um, So find strength in a way that it's one to three days a week where you feel like this is a thing that I can fall in love with, that I can maintain, that I can do for the rest of my life. And really working on alignment and breathing at the outset. Like if you can really connect to your pelvic floor, learn what that is, learn how to relax it fully, learn how to bring it on board learn how to bring that core pelvic floor on board with those exhales, really getting down into that diaphragmatic breathing, that will go a very, very long way for you. Okay. But yeah, Uh, number one is get strong. Be strong. Don't be weak (laughs) because it'll hurt a lot more to be pregnant if you're weak.
0: (laughs) Yes. Get strong, ladies. And if someone
1: wants to get strong with you, how would they work with you? So I run a couple of programs. I run a self-paced program called strength training for happy hormones. And it's everything we talked about here. I teach breathing. I basically it's self-paced, but every exercise has full coaching videos from me. So every video is like two to three minutes of me actually like coaching you through the lift. So you never feel like you're on your own. We learn breathing, we learn alignment, we learn Our basic movement patterns. It's a kettlebell program. So I teach kettlebell skills because I love barbells, but I feel like we can do so much with the kettlebell and it's so much easier and more approachable, which, as you've seen, is kind of like really how I want this to be for women. So that's the self paced version of the program. And every few months, I run a live coaching version of the program. So once a week, we have a live workout with me and it's just a really fun community. It's all these incredible women who are loving on their bodies and want to get strong in this fun and approachable way. And I do run like a strength and nutrition program as well, but I'm not sure when I'm opening the doors for that yet. So those are kind of like my two, my mainstays is strength training for happy hormones and strength training for happy hormones plus coaching. And if you, when are you releasing this episode? Do you know yet?
0: Um, It'll be like the Last week of August.
1: Okay. So, yeah, strength training for happy hormones plus coaching will probably be opening in like a month or so after that. And at towards the end of this year, I am releasing a postpartum specific version of the program. So, not to say that you need to wait for that. Like, if you are postpartum, STHH is still a perfect fit for you, but I'm going to dive deeper in the modules of just like specific progressions for postpartum so i have tons of postpartum and prenatal women in my programs now uh, but i am just gonna like refine that a little more so That's
0: awesome. I definitely have some women who would be interested in that postpartum um, coaching. So we will definitely link all of those in the show notes. But Adina, I want to thank you for coming on the Functional Fertility Podcast. I had so much fun chatting with you as always, breaking all the myths and teaching all the women how to get strong. But um, yeah, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me on. Always a blast. Mm
0: -hmm. Until next time, guys
1: hey there thanks for listening to
0: another episode of the functional fertility podcast if you want to stay connected be sure to join the bite-sized weekly email list where each monday i expand on social media topics to give you the exclusive tidbits of information you need to hear as it pertains to reproductive and metabolic health fertility preconception and more and if you're ready to dive deeper Be sure to check out my website, karmerewellness.com to discover different ways to work with me, such as one-on-one work and my online course, Period Restoration, where I teach you the ins and outs of your cycle and how to transform your fertility, whether or not you're trying to have a baby soon. If you feel this podcast episode resonated with you, please feel free to give it a five-star review and rating as it helps my podcast so much and it allows us to continue having wonderful guests on the show. Thanks, guys. I'll see you in the next episode.